0: Welcome to Fort Caroline Baptist Church. If you are new, my name is Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here at this great church, and we are so honored that you are joining us today in person or online. And as Craig mentioned, if we would, uh, we would just love the privilege of connecting with you. Go to our website fcbc.life and let's connect there. And it's good to have one of our North American Mission Board missionaries here with us today. I think Jimbo Stewart and his family are worshiping with us. Jimbo, where are you? There you are. You way over there. Well, let's give them a welcome to Fort Caroline Baptist. This church. Jimbo is one of my best friends, and I'm just so honored that uh, he and his family are worshiping here. I actually uh, will tell you more about uh, what God's doing through our church in this city as we help plant more churches to reach more people with the good news of Jesus, and uh, Jimbo is a huge part of helping us do that. And also, as you leave today, we would love for you to help us invite people to our Easter services. So as you leave today, if you're here in person, you can pick up these Easter invite cards that tell people about our Easter services, the times and the location, uh, both our English and our Spanish services. So take those as you leave today and uh, invite others to join us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You know, this does mark the one-year anniversary of the news of the global pandemic and everything shutting down. And it was a year ago this week that I remember distinctly thinking to myself, they never trained me in seminary of how to lead a church during a pandemic. That just wasn't one of the topics. And in full confession, fear welled up in my heart. As I heard about thousands of people around the world getting sick and people beginning to die, as I heard about the lockdowns, I began to be afraid of what it would mean for my family, for my church, for our community, for people that we all know and love. I began to, most of all, be concerned about people that I know and love who had life-threatening illnesses already, and now I was concerned, would we lose them as a result of COVID-19? I've got family members And I've got friends and church members who were already dealing with major health concerns. And I was fearful of what this last year might hold. I was fearful about what impact these lockdowns would have on our economy and your family. And I was worried about my own health and my own family And during that time, I remember hearing people make the statement, and I think they meant well, but they would make the statement, this is a time for fearless leadership. And I thought, well, I'm disqualified (laughs) because I'm anything but fearless. I'm a little concerned. I'm anxious. I'm afraid. I'm stressed out. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what the next move is. How do you handle all of these problems? And I don't think I'm alone. I think some of you were feeling a lot of fears well over this last year. You were afraid of what it meant for your family, what it meant for your finances. You were afraid of being separated from loved ones who were in nursing homes and you would not be able to see them, thinking it might be just for a week or two, and it turned into months and a year. Some of you were afraid when you were in a hospital alone because your family and your friends could not come and see you, and for days or for weeks, you were in that hospital all by yourself. Some of you were fearful because you're a healthcare worker. And while everyone else is being told to shelter and to lock down, you had to go and you had to serve and you put your life on the line. And by the way, can we give a hand of applause to all of our healthcare workers? And maybe you were afraid because of having to learn these new skills. You, you all of a sudden became a teacher. Learning not only how to teach your children and get them through school, but you had to learn how to navigate Zoom and navigate the the school system's interface. And it was a fearful time for you. And as young people, what a fearful time for them to see all the adults stressed out and all of these rapid shutdowns and changes. People were filled with fear. And maybe you too heard those well-meaning folks, it's time for fearlessness And I wonder then, and I wonder now, is it possible to be fearless in a world like ours? Because you take not only COVID-19, but let's don't forget, there was a political season last year that was going on that caused a lot of fear and stress and anxiety. And there were uh, issues of race and tension that we saw on our television screens that brought a lot of fear. And then just the daily personal struggles, a marriage that might be struggling a child that may be wayward and maybe a, a, a family member passing away. And all of those things brought fear into your life. And maybe you were thinking, is it possible to be fearless in a world like ours? And they're telling me to be fearless. Maybe there's something defective in my faith because I'm not feeling fearless right now. Well, I'm just going to say to you, I do not believe it is completely possible to be absolutely fearless in a world like ours. About the time you've conquered one fear, some other trial, trouble, tribulation is going to come up to cause you to be afraid. Or about the time you've conquered your fear and you've moved on, you'll discover that fear raises its ugly head again. And what you thought you had conquered now is back. And so while I don't think in a world like ours it is completely possible to be completely fearless, I do believe, with God's it is possible to fear less. And listen, fear is not always a bad thing. Fear can sometimes be a good thing. Fear can warn you about impending danger. Fear can keep you from making dumb decisions. Fear can keep you out of stupid situations. Can I be honest? One of the reasons I survived the teenage years was because I was afraid of what my parents would do if they found out. And that kept me out of a lot of trouble because I was afraid. And so fear can sometimes be a good thing if it helps motivate you to take precaution. And as followers of Jesus, fear can be a good thing when it drives us to God, when it causes us to run to God. And what I wanted to do today on this one-year anniversary is I wanted to share with you a psalm, an Old Testament song from the Old Testament book of Psalms. It's Psalm 46 because it has been so helpful to me over these last 12 months. It has spoken to me like few psalms have. And it's not only helped me personally, but I've been able to use this psalm as I have helped other people going through some very difficult times this year. In the last year, over 30 times I've stood before families and conducted a funeral service for someone they loved. And almost without exception, this is one of the psalms I would turn to either in that service or as I helped them in their time of grief. And, and I know that usually what I do is I try to keep you with me and I try to tease you out and let's look at the scripture and there's something I want you to see, but I'm not going to tell you right now because I want you to follow along with me. If I tell you too early, you'll check out. But today I'm going to risk you checking out and not hearing anything else I say because I'm going to go ahead and tell you at the very beginning what I think the Psalm says to us today. It's so important. I want to say it at the very beginning because I don't want you to miss it. While it's impossible for us to be fearless, it is possible for us to fear less. And if we're going to fear less, we must run to God with our fears more. If we are going to fear less, we're going to have to learn to run to God with our fears more. So often we try to face what scares us on our own and we try to figure it out and we try to to handle it in our own strength, but we are not capable of facing all of the trials of this world and be fearless on our own. And the good news is whenever we're afraid, it doesn't mean there's something defective in our faith. Thank God we've got faith. It just means run to God. Run to God with that trouble. Run to God with the what that has you afraid, knowing that the who that you love and serve is greater than that what. And God says here in Psalm 46, I want you to run to me. And what we're going to see in Psalm 46 is why we should run to God. And we're going to see his resume and why he is worthy of us running to him. And we're going to see the benefits of running to him. And then I want to close out our time today by just giving you one practical way that you can apply to your life today that will help you to run to God when you feel afraid. So don't check out. Hang in there with me. Psalm 46, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The psalmist declares, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Right there, the psalmist says, God is our refuge. God is that strong, safe place where we can run in times of danger. God is our refuge whenever you need a place of safety and protection. God is our strength whenever you feel absolutely weak. And God is a very accessible, very present help in times of trouble. That word trouble in the Hebrew literally means in a tight place. Have you ever been in a tight place and you don't know where to turn and it feels like you're hemmed in and you're surrounded by your problems? That's what the psalmist is describing in this Hebrew hymn, in this Hebrew song. Now the context of Psalm 46, most scholars believe, is from the time of the king of Jerusalem, King Hezekiah, in about 701 B.C., a little history lesson The king of Assyria has decided to conquer Israel. And the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, has rallied up his forces. Hundreds of thousands of trained warriors. They are the superpower of their day. There's no other empire greater than the Assyrian Empire. And they have started their destructive conquest of conquering Israel by starting in the north, and then making their way down south into Judah. By the time we get to King Hezekiah, King Sennacherib has destroyed all of the walled cities of Judah, and now he is surrounding the prized city of Jerusalem. And whenever you think about the Assyrians, if you knew anything about them, fear would well up in your heart. You would go, oh no, not them, anybody but them. For example, everybody today knows about the form of execution called crucifixion. And people sometimes think that was an invention of the Romans, but it wasn't. The Romans learned it from someone else. The Romans perfected crucifixion as a means of torture and execution. They learned it from the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the ones who formed crucifixion. The Assyrians were the ones who were known for impaling their enemies on stakes The Assyrians were the ones known for sacrificing infants to their pagan gods. And now they have surrounded the holy city of God, Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah knows what has happened to all the other fortified walled cities. And there as he is surrounded by the enemy, he cries out, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in times of trouble. You say, Ricky, come on, that's 701 BC. This is the 21st century AD. What does this have to do with me? Well, you may not be facing an Assyrian, but you're in a battle whether you know it or not. Some of you are in a battle for your marriage and you need to recognize the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. Some of you are in a battle for your sobriety. Some of you are in a battle for your own wayward child who is strayed from God some of you are in a battle of grief and depression some of you are in a battle trying to live for God in a world that seems to have rejected him at every turn some of you teenagers are in a battle to stand for God when everybody else says give up on God You're in a battle, and when you come into those times, if you know what's going on, it's going to cause you to be afraid, but fear can be a good thing if it drives you to God. If it says, run to God, you're not big enough to handle this. You can't do this by yourself. You don't have all the resources you need to handle this, but the good news is, God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is a very present help in times of trouble. The preacher may not be there. The world may have gone into a lockdown. Everybody may be isolated, but wherever you are, God. God is there and He is available to you and He wants you to run to Him. Run to Him in that time of your need. And in verse 2, because God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in times of trouble, therefore, the psalmist loves the word therefore, therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, at its swelling, Selah. He's describing a tumultuous scene. Hezekiah is saying, and the psalm writer is saying, it's like we're living in the midst of a cauldron of chaos all around us. It feels like the, the very foundations of our society have been shaken. It feels like that everything we once thought that was stable under our feet is now trembling But we're not going to be afraid because we've got a God who is our refuge and strength and a very present help in times of trouble. No matter how bad things get, we put our faith in God who's bigger than all the trials of this world. Do you remember in 2004, in the Indian Ocean, an underwater earthquake triggered a series of earthquakes and a tsunami That was one of the most devastating of its kind in modern history. It was called the Boxing Day Tsunami. And over 230,000 people lost their lives. An earthquake that led to a wave reaching over 35 feet high. And that's what the psalmist is describing here. That's how his world feels. But we're not going to fear even though the earth gives way from under our feet. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we're not going to be afraid because God is our refuge and He is our strength and He is a very present help in times of trouble. In that little note, Selah, S-E-L-A-H, is by most commentators, most Hebrew historians and scholars is a notation in the music. All of our musicians here know that there are times that there's just notations of what you do and how loud you play or how softly you play or, or how you sing. In this case, it is believed Selah was a time to pause the music, to pause the singing, and to contemplate what you just said. Think about it. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in times of trouble. No matter how bad things get, we're not going to be afraid. There, what do you think of that? We've got a God who is with us. And listen, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know He is this God who is with us and who is for us. So He says, come to me, run to me, and I will give you refuge. But He will also do something else. He will not only give you refuge, but God says, Run to me with your fears, and I will give you refreshment. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. He's describing Jerusalem here, calling it the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God, the one true living God. This is His city, Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of God. And there is a river in that city whose streams make glad the city of God. While there is evil and hate and animosity and cruelty and death outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, inside there is gladness and joy Are they oblivious to what's going on around them? No, they're being refreshed by a river that the enemy knows nothing about. King Hezekiah knew that one of the greatest dangers of being in a walled city during a time of siege is that you inside the city would be cut off from your food supply and your water supply. And that's what the Assyrians had done to Jerusalem. They had surrounded the entire city. No one could go in, no one could come out. And sometimes they could conquer a city without firing a shot because the people inside the walled city would run out of food and they would run out of water, drinking water, and they would starve to death or die of drought. And often they would surrender and give up even before a shot was fired. But Hezekiah was a wise leader, a godly leader. And before the siege began, he went out to the Kidron Valley at the springs of Gihon and he covered over those springs so that no one would know the spring was there. And then through solid rock, he he dug an aqueduct. He he dug a channel from outside the walls of the city, under the walls of the city, and he covered that tunnel underground so that the enemy never knew it was there. And so all the while Sennacherib's forces are outside thinking we're gonna starve them to death. It will cause them to come out and surrender because they'll run out of drinking water. And little did they know they're in there drinking the best water in the region. Because there was a secret source the enemy didn't know anything about. Is it any coincidence that in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said, if a man thirsts, if you've got a longing in your heart, if there's something you're looking for and the world can't satisfy, Jesus says, if any man thirsts, then let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He's referring to the presence of the Holy Spirit of God living inside everyone who puts their confidence in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. The enemy knows nothing about this source of peace and sustenance and strength and refreshment. And the enemy can't touch it. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. I always remember going to the home of Charlotte Hurd in Valdosta, Georgia. I had already conducted the funeral of her husband after he had had open-heart surgery. The surgery was successful, but then he got a staph infection, and one thing led to another, and he passed away. Thankfully, I was able to lead Frank to the Lord before he passed. I conducted Frank's funeral. This was my first introduction to this family. And then just a few months later, Charlotte called on an early Sunday morning and said, Ricky, my 19-year-old daughter who's pregnant has been found dead. She has died of an aneurysm. Please come to my home. We need you again. I went back to that same home, that same grieving family, that same funeral home, that same graveside, and conducted the second funeral, not only of this woman's husband, but now her daughter and her unborn grandchild. And I'm just going to be honest, I didn't know what to say. What do you say to a family like this the second time that they are devastated by grief? And in that moment, after the graveside, I do what every pastor does. I, I close my Bible and I had my prayer. And then I just walked over and I hugged the family one by one as they sat on that front row before the casket. And not knowing what to say, I just cried. cried. As I hugged Charlotte's neck. And this is what Charlotte said to me. She said, oh, Pastor Ricky, thank you for telling us about Jesus. How do people without Jesus face times like this? And I thought, here I've been preaching about faith and this woman is living by faith. And there was a secret source of peace and calm and security that no one could see And no one could touch. It was the person of the Holy Spirit in her that gave her strength. I watched Charlotte rededicate her life to the Lord. She used her testimony to reach other people for Christ. She's now with Jesus and her family in heaven. But I will always remember her words. How do people do this without Jesus? She found he was the one who gave her refuge. And he was the one who gave her the refreshment of his Holy Spirit A peace that passes all understanding. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her, in the midst of the city. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. The psalmist is saying, God is here in the middle of this city. This Assyrian pagan king may have thought he has cut us off, but he's not able to cut us off from God. God is with us. He is the one in our midst. He is the one who will help this city when morning dawns. And you can read how God did it in Isaiah chapters 36 and 37 and in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. You'll discover that the Assyrian king taunts the people of God. Don't listen to Hezekiah. He tells you to put your faith in God. None of the other gods of the other nations we've conquered helped them. What makes you think your God's going to help you? Come on, just lay down your weapons. Open up the gates. We're going to take you as exiles to another land. But you know, it's going to be a good land. It'll have milk and honey. It'll have bread and wine. You'll be slaves, of course. But hey, it's better than dying because your God's not coming through. By the way, that's the way the devil talks to us. Come on, sell your soul to me. Give into this slavery that I call freedom. Don't trust God. Don't run to God. Don't put your faith in God. Just give up. It's hopeless. But Hezekiah, he went to church. He went to the temple. And he fell down on his face before God in prayer. And he said, God, you're our only hope. And God says, because Hezekiah prayed to me, I've heard his prayer. And that night, one angel, the angel of the Lord, went through the camp of the Assyrians and killed 185,000 soldiers. The next morning when the rest woke up and saw the corpses around them, they tucked tail and ran all the way back to Nineveh. Even ancient historians now, Egyptian historians and Jewish historians talk about how King Sennacherib did not conquer the city of God. Even in Sennacherib's own telling of his campaign of conquest we still have some of the prisms that he would carve into stone his great accomplishments he even admits in his own prism i couldn't conquer jerusalem i just decided to leave them alone oh you yeah, now you know why he left them alone because god was in the midst of that city and god gave them the victory And can I tell you, there's something that we share in common with the Jewish people of 701 BC in the 21st century AD. It is the fact that God is in our midst and God is still God with us. He is God with you wherever you are, whatever you're facing. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is with you. Aren't you grateful? Our Jesus was Emmanuel The baby born is none other than God with us. As a 12-year-old boy, he's sitting in the temple of Jerusalem, astounding the Jewish scholars in the midst of the temple. We see him after the cross and after the resurrection showing up in the upper room behind locked doors where the disciples are afraid. And he comes into their midst and he says, Peace be unto you. It's me. I'm with you. I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you this, God's with you. You say, but Ricky, I can't see him. I can't feel him. It's when you live by faith that he's a promise-keeping God and he's with you. He gives you refuge. He gives you refreshment, but he also gives you rest. We'll see this in the last few verses. Look at verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Come see what God did to the Assyrians. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Every weapon that the Assyrians were known for in their campaign of conquest, God says, watch this, I'll bring them to nothing. I'll even burn their chariots. Their weapons are powerless against me. Verse 10 And this is one of the most misunderstood verses, I think, in the Old Testament. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's misunderstood because often I have claimed Psalm 46, verse 10, as God talking to me. Be still, Ricky. Just watch me work, Ricky. And there's a point in which he's saying that. Listen, you've done all you can do. Now watch me do what only I can do. But the great context of this verse is God wasn't talking to me and you. He was talking to the Assyrians. He's talking to your enemies for all of your war cries and for all of your taunts and for all of your lies. You shut up and watch. I will be exalted in the nation. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that I am God. That's the point of Psalm 46 verse 10. You are telling the the people of God to surrender. God says, no, I command all of you to surrender. There's only one God, and I'm on their side. You might as well give up now. And we look at that, and we see again, verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah, there, what do you think of that? He's our refuge. What do you think of that? We've got somewhere we can run to, not a place, but a person. He is our refreshment, our source of peace and joy and gladness that the world doesn't know anything about and can never take away from us. What do you think of that? And he can give us rest in his plan. He is not finished, no matter how bad it looks. And dear friend, the good news is I've read the last chapter Not the book of maps. I've read the last chapter, the book of Revelation. The last chapter in the last book of the Bible. And here, in case you haven't read it, spoiler alert, we win. God wins. And that God who wins in the end is God with us in the meantime. There's a sense in which Psalm 46 is applied in the past. You know, there's an historical context, 701 B.C. The king of Assyria, the king of Jerusalem, we know that. And there's a sense in which Psalm 46 can be applied to the present, to whatever you're facing, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this God is still the God who is with us. Remember in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, Jesus said to his disciples, Go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them all things that I've commanded you and listen, Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us. But there's also a sense in which Psalm 46 can not only be applied to the past and the present but to the future. Dear friend, Psalm 46 doesn't guarantee that God's going to keep you out of problems. It guarantees God's going to keep you in them and through them. And he's going to show you the victory in this life and ultimately in the life to come when Jesus Christ returns and sets all that is wrong right. And until that day, we can trust in him that he is still the God who is with us. So how do we apply this to our own personal lives? Well, I think we ought to do what Hezekiah did. When Hezekiah felt surrounded and besieged, he went to the temple. We don't have a temple to go to today. In fact, the Bible says if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he went into the presence of God, and that's what you and I need to do. We need to go into the presence of God, and we need to do a couple of things while we're in the presence of God. One thing we ought to do is what Hezekiah did. You can read about it again, 1 Kings or or 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19, or you can read about it in Isaiah chapters 36 and 37, but when he went into the presence of God, he did a couple of things. First of all, he just worshiped God for who God is. God, you are God. You're the one true living God. You are the covenant-keeping God. You are the God most high. And I'm going to learn more about you and worship you and glorify you. That's what's so powerful about God's people coming together and worshiping God, focusing our attention on him. Because when you know him, you discover something. Wait a minute, my problems are big, but my God's bigger. And I want to worship him. You said, but I don't feel like it. I'm so depressed and I'm so discouraged. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to hang out with Christians. I don't want to sing this song. That's when you need to worship anyway. Because worship is warfare. That is how you fight your battles is by coming to God. Whenever the devil says, your marriage stinks, why go to church? That's why you ought to go to church. You're never going to overcome these battles of your addictions or your depression. Why give up? Why go to church? Just give up. Why read your Bible? Just give up. Why sing praise songs? Just stop doing it. Just turn on some Metallica and be happy. No, worship is warfare because it reminds you, my God is bigger than all my problems. But he not only worshipped in the presence of God, he prayed, he talked to God, and he brought his needs to God And he said, God, please help your people. By your own namesake, help your people. And we ought to pray and talk to God. If we want to fear less, we've got to run to God with our fears more. And prayer is one of the best ways of running to God with your fears and pouring them out before the Lord. He already knows, but he wants you to know he knows, and he wants you to see he's bigger than that problem that has got you afraid. And he wants you to know he's got a plan that is bigger than anything you can understand. And in life or in eternity, you're going to be able to look back and see you were on the winning side. And you don't have to fight for victory. You can rest and just fight from it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 is your homework. Because in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, we read, Don't be anxious about anything. Anything. Whatever that is, it's got you afraid. Don't be afraid of anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And here's what God does when you run to him with your fears. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You won't understand that peace. The world won't understand that peace. But the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because God says if you want to fear less you got to run to me with your fears more. Come to I'll give you refuge. I'll give you restoration and refreshment. I'll give you rest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for Psalm 46 because it points us to you. It reminds us of who you are and what you're capable of and that our faith in you is well placed. But God, I confess there are times I don't run to you like I should. I try to face my fears alone. Thank you for being such a gracious and patient, God. Thank you for this reminder today that I can run to you. And God, I believe that you have brought us here or maybe you've put people where they are watching this or listening to this message because they need to hear this. If you want to fear less, you got to run to God with your fears more. Rather than pulling away from you, God, let us intentionally draw closer to you and you then draw closer to us. So Father, I thank you for this reminder today that we can come to you, we can run to you, and we can find what we need in you. It doesn't mean our problems will go away, but it means you are there with us. So Father, I pray that every follower of Jesus would rededicate her heart or his heart to you. And maybe today for the first time, there's someone in this place or someone watching or listening online who for the first time in their life will put their confidence and their trust in Jesus Christ, as their personal Lord and Savior. He's the one who said, come unto me, and I'll give you rest. So maybe today, right where you are, you'll say, dear God, I admit to you, I'm a sinner. God, I admit to you that I've not always loved you like I should. I've not always done what I should by others. I'm a sinner, but thank you for loving me anyway. And I believe Jesus is your son, and God, you gave him to pay the price for my sin. And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And he said, if I would just simply believe in him, he would forgive me of my sin and give me eternal life, and that he would never leave me or forsake me. So, Jesus, today I trust in you and you alone for the forgiveness of my sin. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved according to the promise of your word. And I pray, God, if someone has made that commitment to trust Jesus today, that they would not be ashamed to let someone know. Father, I pray they'll tell us. Let us know. Comment on Facebook or connect with us on our website or talk to me at the service and say, Today, I've committed my life to Jesus. And Father, we'll give you praise for what you do in their lives because we know that if we want to fear less, we've got to run to you with our fears more. And we thank you that your arms are stretched open wide. We come to you today in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And all of God's people said, amen.